The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Uh, join me in turning to Philippians chapter 1, the first, uh, the first chapter of the book of Philippians. We've been walking through this text here. I think this is the fourth sermon that I've preached on this I believed Philippians chapter 1 verses 21 through 26 this morning. Philippians chapter 1 verses 21 and through 26. I'm also going to be in the book of Matthew. Uh, If you want to flip there, Matthew chapter 10 as well. The missions discourse. Matthew chapter 10 and then Philippians chapter 1 uh, verses 21 through 26. The book of Philippians. Let's pray quickly as you turn there, and then we will jump off into what the Lord has in store for us this morning. Heavenly Father, grant us clarity as we wrestle wrestle with Scripture yet again this morning. Give give me faithfulness to the text of these words. Give me faithfulness to it, uh, that I may speak to your people through it. Lift up Greg to you in another part of the world and his family as well here. I pray for his work and his ministry. I pray that you uphold him, that you strengthen him and his family, and you give him peace of mind, Father. Hold him upright as he navigates a world of difficulties and shares in the lives of men and women who have devoted themselves to a higher cause. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So the first three sermons in the book of Philippians, I've built around these jewels, what I've termed these jewels of the Christian life that Paul drops from what I term the content and the movement of the gospel. We've dealt with joy. Joy is a major theme through this book, which is why we say Christ Jesus is our joy, is sort of this overarching drumbeat in the book. But these jewels he drops from the content and the movement of the gospel in the first chapter of Philippians, we deal with joy, we dealt with godliness. The last sermon I dealt with something called holy courage, which is a courage that's bound up in the movement of the gospel. And so my argument has been centered on this key statement that I believe it unlocks the train of thought with Paul, particularly in the first chapter here, that the content, you get probably tired of me saying this by now, but the content and movement of the gospel, it gives you purpose on how to live individually and it gives you purpose on how to live as a church. The content and movement of the gospel, it will give you purpose on how to live individually and it gives you purpose on how to live as a church. So this morning we're still in that same context. The entire first chapter of this book has been built around that. It's been built around the idea of advancing the gospel. And I've been arguing that from that central context, Paul dives off into these other things, these jewels that he unwinds for the Christian faith from all of it. A life centered on the gospel. I'm going to talk to you more about the content of the gospel this morning because that's important. But after you come to faith and you center your life on the gospel, it gives you purpose. It gives you clarity on how to live. And it's from the gospel that we get joy. It's from the gospel that we get godliness, that we get courage. And remember, you probably don't remember this, but way back in the first sermon, I told you that in the context of this this letter as a whole, Paul is dealing with social issues. He's dealing with an idea of social mobility. These people are concerned about their mobility in society. This is something we deal with in America. And so basically, Paul is reorienting the priorities of life here. 
In some ways, that's a context for us. Paul is, 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 is reorienting priorities for these people, and he's calling this church back to the right things. He's calling them to these things that you're supposed to live out for larger purposes. There's more to say in that about living out for a larger purpose and, and tying all into this. I, when I wrote this, I thought about I preached two sermons on Imago Day, the image of God. I sort of dipped my toe into that. It's almost been a year ago now, but if you want to go check those sermons out, it kind of gives you this idea of the image of God how do we live it out, these larger purposes? I left a lot on the table in those two sermons, but you can check them out. But basically, Paul is trying to reorient priorities here, and he's saying your whole entire life is given over for these bigger purposes. When God redeems you, he redeems you for these bigger purposes. And so Paul is grounding this all in this first chapter here. So to the text this morning, hear the words, the inspired words of the apostle Paul to this dear church whom he loved. He endeared this church in verse 21. This is the key, this is the key verse to the, maybe the whole chapter here. He says, for to, me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For, I, for if I am to live in the flesh, he's talking about the flesh, the body, not flesh, sin. Flesh is used in the Bible, it's synonymous with sin as well, but that's not what he's saying here. He's saying if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I, should cho- which, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh, that's not sin, that's his body, to remain here on earth is more necessary on your account. He loved this church. Listen to the language here. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy. There's that word again, progress and joy. He's worried about their sanctification. He's worried about their holiness. He's worried about their joy. We've talked about both of these, your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. In this section here, Paul is dealing with, is dealing with a personal evaluation of himself. You hear the words I in there. He uses a lot of I in this section. And more importantly, he's, he, what he's dealing with here is he walks off into this small discourse of comparisons. It's like this personal reflection he's dealing with here, and he's dealing with a comparison. He's dealing with a comparison. And when you read verse 21, which is the key to this entire section this morning, we're sort of prone to think about this as Paul is almost saying, if I die, it's better than if I live. And in some ways he's saying that, but that's not exactly what he's doing here. He's comparing things, but this is so important for you to understand. He's comparing life and death. Yes, he's comparing life and death here, but but the comparing of the two, there's more than one way to compare things. It doesn't always have to be a negative against a positive. You understand that? Sometimes we often think of comparisons as always negative against a positive. That's not what Paul is doing here. Paul is giving you two positives. In other words, we usually compare negative and positive, but if you were here for the first sermon of the new year that I preached, that's what I did. I compared a negative and a positive. That's how we sort of live. We live between a negative and a positive, but what he's doing here is he's comparing good to good. He's comparing good to good. He's not saying we don't devalue life. God loves life. Sometimes this has been misinterpreted that I should just long for death. And though death is a joy in some ways, you departed, you be with Christ. Paul is comparing good to good here. He's basically saying whether I live or I die, it's a win for me. It's a win for me. This is important for us. I'm going to sit down in the life of this today. And so how you, Paul is saying, he's saying, think about it. Think about it. If you live, it's good. If you die, it's good. And there's so much joy in that. 
Because both of them are purposeful. This is why Paul is rejoicing in this letter. He's in a difficult context, but if he lives, the gospel will move. And if he dies, he'll be in the presence of Christ. It's a win-win for Paul here in some ways. And so this comparison is good for good. How can I say that, Brett? I'm just trying to teach you how to read the Bible. How can I say that? Because the way he writes this passage, he's linking it back to verse 20 here. He's linking all of this. I stopped at verse 20 last week, but he's linking it back to verse 20 here that he's saying always Christ will be honored. He freely admits with joy and holy courage that if he lives, the gospel will move, and if he lives, Christ will be honored. His life is purposeful. His living, breathing life is purposeful. He'll honor Christ with that. And you have to remember the larger context here, which we talked about, is the advancement of the gospel and its effectiveness. He tells us in verse 23 of this, he tells us right there in verse 23 that he's hard-pressed between the two. He's torn. He's torn because this world, even though the world is tough, your life has been given for a purpose. God has a bigger purpose for you. If he lives in the flesh, not the negative sense, that's again, I just finished a, this is a footnote, I just finished a 40-page paper on the flesh as synonymous with sin. I can tell you more than you want to know about that, but that's not sin. He's saying if I live, if I embrace this life, if that's what God chooses for me, there'll be fruitful labor. There'll be fruitful labor in that. So it's as though Paul is saying, if I live, I'm gonna run hard for the content and the movement of the gospel. I'm gonna pursue the things of Christ. I'm gonna pursue Jesus and the gospel advancement. And if I die, I'll go be with him. This brings him joy. This is the ideal life. And the key verse that unlocks all of this, the key, I'm gonna try to show you what I've been trying to get at for three weeks here today. I hope you have eyes to see it. But the key verse is verse 21 there. For to me to live is Christ. That's the key verse. That entire verse is summed up in one plain sentence, which is the title of the sermon this morning. Christ is your life. If you're a redeemed child of God, Christ is is your life. I mean that your entire life is bound up in Christ. If you're a Christian and you confess the truths of Scripture, literally, quite literally, your entire life is bound up in the person and work of Christ. Your marriage, the way you handle yourself at work, what you do with your free time, the way you raise your kids. I could go on and on and on and on, but if you're called, if you're a redeemed person, if God has called you and he's redeemed you, your life is completely bound up in the person and work of Christ. I'm gonna explain this to you. Britt, how is my life Christ? How is my entire life Christ? It's because you quite literally, this is important to where I'm going today. You quite literally, you live every single breathing moment in this mutual interchange with Christ. You live every single breathing moment of your life on this earth, here on this earth. I'm talking about the life piece of this this morning with Paul in a constant relationship with Jesus Christ. There's mutual exchange going on constantly. When I prayed up here earlier, Jesus is literally interceding for me in real time. There's a constant interchange with this. We, this is how, there's two parts to this. I hope you can see this. That we receive from Christ the content. We receive from Christ the content. That's part of the interchange. And then we turn right back around and we give ourselves to him and his purposes, the advancement of the gospel. You tracking with me on that? 
There you go, Jim. The content and movement of the gospel gives you purpose. It clarifies how you live. Between the content and the movement of the gospel, y'all probably so sick of me saying this, there is a continual interchange, this relationship with Jesus Christ, literally every moment of your life. Think about its content, receiving from Jesus Christ. You receive from Jesus Christ the content, and then you give yourself to his purposes. You give yourself to him and his purposes. That's all Paul's getting at here. As simple as I can put it. It's as simple as I can put it. I hope you can see that. I'm trying to say the same thing nine different ways up here. Christ is your life because you are bound up in receiving from Christ and then turning right back around and giving it back to him for his purposes. So when Paul says, for me to live is Christ, he means that Christ, Christ is the fountain or the springhead of life. Christ is his life. This is not reserved for just an apostle. He's simply a redeemed man of God. This is what happens in the mutual mutual exchange with Christ. This is what happens. Number one, you receive from Christ the content of the gospel. The content of the gospel is what saves you. This, I'm so big on this. This, this taking from Christ, this receiving from Christ is grounded. Don't ever, wherever you go in this life, don't ever lose this truth. It's grounded in Christ as the substitute. Christ is a substitute. His substitutionary work is the central feature of the gospel. It is the first thing that has gone after when people water the gospel down. Don't ever, I can't preach this stuff too much today. This is rich, so hold on to your hat. It's so important to stay clear on this. The central piece or content within the gospel is Christ's substitution, Christ as the substitute. In my theological opinion, this is the central feature of the gospel. And if you lose this, you don't have content. You don't even have the gospel anymore, point blank. Don't ever water it down. Don't ever walk away from it. Don't ever lose clear on it. Stay clear on this stuff. Stay clear on this stuff. If life is Christ, your life is Christ because he is the great substitute for your brokenness. We're made complete in Christ because of his work of substitution for us. Christ became our representative. He's often referred to, this is a beautiful word, he's often referred to as our surety. He became our representative in order to satisfy the wrath of God. He can't look favorably upon sin. He can't do it. Christ gave satisfaction to God by way of his representation. And from that, God gives us forgiveness to a people. He redeems us. That forgiveness, it makes you whole or complete as a person. The content of the gospel, it will give you purpose. What are you living for? What are you searching for? It will give you clarity on life. Christ gave satisfaction to God. He gave satisfaction to God by way of his representation. And from that, God gives forgiveness to his people. He redeems them. That forgiveness, it makes you whole. It completes you as a person. The content of the gospel, it will give you purpose. It's so remarkable to me. The content of the gospel is the most remarkable thing ever known to God, ever known to mankind, in my opinion. God's choice of person in Jesus Christ, the unblemished, the fully equal with God, uncreated being who is infinite in mercy and love. He's perfect and true truth and faithfulness. He's immeasurably loved by the Father. He's immeasurably loved by the Father. By the, he's beloved by the Father, the Christ. This is the one that was fit. This is the incredible wisdom or choice of God. He's beloved by God. This is a footnote. 5.30 on Tuesday morning, the two-part series for Easter, it hit me like a ton of bricks. 
boom, when I was writing this, Christ is beloved by the Father. Don't miss it. Two sermons on that coming up in Easter. Don't, don't miss it. It's, it, was, it just came to me. By his own good pleasure, Jesus Christ, the Son, he performs the work of the gospel by becoming a man. He became this poor man like me and you, this unblemished, fully equal with God. He's uncreated being who is infinite in mercy and love. He's perfect in truth and faithfulness. He's me- immeasurably loved by the Father. He steps into flesh and he exposes himself. He exposed himself to the need of mankind he exposed himself to the need of mankind and he takes on this feeble calamity known as flesh and by all of this he becomes a representative and he makes us he writes the wrong of the first Adam he stands in the sinner's way the substitution it was personal for Christ it was personal for Christ he willingly admitted himself and his merits for the guilty person as an act of grace he did this for me his substitutionary atonement it unleashes the grace of God upon mankind that forgiveness might flow this is Christ that forgiveness might flow that we might stand and say I have been raised to live with him I've been raised to life because of him I've been raised to live with him I've been raised to life this is what Paul is getting at here we have been born alive together with Christ for me to live is Christ the content of the gospel To receive from Christ the content, the mutual exchange, to receive from Christ. The gospel is a receiving doctrine as well as as a Christian. Every single breathing moment of your life on this earth is a constant back and forth with Jesus Christ. For you to live is Christ. For you to live is for you to receive grace from him. He stands as your representative. But here's the kicker. I've been trying to show this to you for three weeks. The kicker to all of it is from the content of the gospel, from receiving Christ as your substitute, falls these jewels of the Christian faith. Joy, godliness, holy courage, the content of the gospel. It gives you purpose on how to live individually and as a church. Christ is our life. He's our life because there's this mutual interchange going on. There's this mutual interchange going on. We receive Christ by, light, by the content of the gospel, by his substitutionary atonement. Never lose it. The content of the gospel. So what do I give him, Brit? What do I give him if I receive him? The answer is simple. It's your life. It's your life. The second reason that Christ is your life that Paul is giving us here is because you give yourself to him for his purposes, the movement of the gospel. What Paul is getting at here in this section, what he's getting at here in this section is that you work, to, you work and you live and you work and you live for other, that others might know and grow in Christ and that he might be glorified. That he might be glorified is from the content of the gospel and being made alive in Christ that he is motivated to live for Christ. You understand that? Can you see that? I love the content of the gospel. I love the depth of theology. But sometimes these things get out of whack if you don't mobilize for Christ. If you don't turn around and give yourself to his purposes. The question is, have you even received it? Have you even received it? Are you even alive in Christ? Are you even a new creature? If you've been called and you haven't given yourself over to him, these are the hard questions. Ask the hard questions from the text. 
We often make this part, this relational part with Jesus, this moving for Christ's purposes, we often make this way more complex than it should be. That I want to go deep into the go deep into the content of the gospel. I love theology. If you hang around with me long enough, you know I love theology. This stuff is important to me. I think theology matters. I've given my life to the study of theology. Go deep in it. Go as deep as you can go into it. I want those things for you. I do that for me. But you've got to live for things beyond yourself. And you've got to put them in action for the purposes of Christ. It's both and. The content and the movement of the gospel. I was talking to someone this week I admire. And I asked him, I said, if I explained this to him. And I said, this is what Paul's doing in this text. Sometimes I'll ask people questions like this when I'm preparing these things just to get different perspectives on it. And I said, this is what's going on in this text. So what is it, if your life is supposed to be Christ, what, what does that, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? And the answer was beautiful. This person looked at me and said, I live a simple Christianity. I live a simple Christianity. It's fascinating to me. I said, explain that to me. And this person said, I don't overcomplicate things. I love the gospel. I study the gospel, I know the gospel, I love people, I serve the church, and I try to do the right things with joy. It's that simple. It's that simple. And I thought, that's exactly right. It's so complicated at times. We know so much more in the Christian faith than we'll ever practice. Some of you can write books on what the gospel is. It's both and. And I thought this is exactly right. You learn so much more than you'll ever practice in the Christian faith. So much more. And so when I wrote this, I thought about where I told you to go in Matthew chapter 10. I thought about the missions discourse. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus, if you want to flip there and follow along, I'm going to be in the, just the last section of this, 40 through 42. But what's happening in here, Jesus is, this is a sermon. This is famously known as a missions discourse. Paul's sending out the apostles major thing in the church is historically known as the missions discourse he sends them out um, he tells them a lot of things here he gives them directive in this sermon he warns them about opposition we've been talking about opposition if you've been here for the last couple of sermons i've talked to you i try to be straightforward about opposition to the gospel he warns them about opposition he warns them about all of these things basically the same thing paul's been dealing with in this letter paul's dealing with opposition here jesus basically tells them he says he's just straightforward with them if you read this stuff he's like listen you're going to be rejected it's going to cost you something to live this stuff out. Grace is free. It's not cheap. Bonhoeffer, he says, it's good. you're going to be rejected. And what I want you to see here carefully for our purposes this morning is there's a lot more, there's, a lot, there's always a lot more going on here I can't explain. But these, these people being sent out, the 12 apostles here being sent out by Jesus, they're living out the same thing I'm asking you to live out this morning. They're living it out. The same thing that Paul is living out. They were in this mutual exchange with Jesus Christ, this relationship with him. They received, if you read through this sermon here, if you read through chapter 10 here, you'll receive, you'll see they received from Jesus Christ. They received the content of the gospel from Jesus Christ. They, seemed, they received directives from Jesus about, G, about the gospel. They knew who Jesus was. They believed him. They believed that what all this stuff that everybody thought this crazy man was walking around spewing. They believed him and they said he is the Messiah and they confessed him and at the conclusion of the sermon, by Jesus at the conclusion here in verse 40 these people these these people are being they're they're part of the hundreds of millions of Christians that have lived for Christ look at what Jesus tells them here at the very end they've experienced the same giving and receiving I'm talking about here look at the last last couple verses here he talks about rewards he's talking about eternal life here 
He says, whoever receives you receives me. He's talking to the apostles here. He says, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. That's a, that's a theological statement. Jesus is equating himself with God there. He's saying, if you receive Jesus, you receive God. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a, he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones, that's a phrase that Matthew uses to speak of disciples, one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. The mutual exchange going on in these verses, this is what I want you to see here. Jesus is basically giving them three layers by which people can receive the gospel. He's giving them three layers and Jesus is saying in roughly three equivalent ways that those who receive his followers, whether they're prophets or general disciples, you're a disciple of Jesus God if if Jesus has redeemed you, whether you're either or on that because they accept, if they accept those individuals and what those individuals stand for, if they accept what those individuals stand for, the gospel, he will in turn, they will in turn be received by God. Whoever receives the disciple of Jesus Christ and accepts what he stands for will in turn receive the gospel, the reward, the eternal life. What's underneath this that I'm trying to get you to see is the art of exchange in your life. To live as Christ means that you receive the gospel from him, the content, and then you turn right back around and you give yourself back to him for his purposes. That is what's being demonstrated right here in this sermon by Jesus Christ. Right here in this sermon. They turned right back around and gave their life to Jesus. It's the call of Jesus Christ. These people in this text right here, they received God in the form of Christ and his sacrifice and they were in turn turned around and they were giving up their lives for him. These people lived for Christ. This is the call of the disciple. Christ is their life. Christ should be your life if you're in the faith. It's not complicated. It's it's not complicated. All of this happening in every sermon here that I've been trying to preach. There's hospitality in this. There's so many things that's going forward, but it's so straightforward to me. It's so straightforward to me. Let me give you an illustration. I was trying to show you how this plays out in your life. On Wednesday morning, um, Wednesday morning, 5.08, my clock goes off. Boom, I hit the floor. I go downstairs, and the first two hours of my day every day, I do what I call unpack. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on at night in my brain, and I get up and I unpack things. <laughs> so I unpack stuff to Jesus, I unpack things to God, I unpack a lot of stuff in prayer, and then for two hours, hour and a half, two hours, I write and do other things that would make you dry your eyeballs out but anyway and so you don't have to know any of that stuff to be a god-fearing christian just you don't have to know any of that but anyway i i went about my day of work and about i got home at like four o'clock or four thirty that day and usually if you see me around four four thirty um i'm i'm spent i'm usually pretty spent and so i walk in and i'm pretty spent and we have people coming over to our house to eat we have people unchurched people coming over to our house to eat i was tired I didn't have anything left. If I had it my way, I might have punted. But I didn't. And so I walk in. We have dinner with these people. We bring them into our home. It's simple. I mean, this is moving the gospel. This is all that Paul's talking about here. My wife and I do this so we can move the gospel. We do it. I'm not trying to sound righteous up here. I'm just telling you how simple it is. We, we want to be light. This is the Christian way to do it. It's not complex. In the middle of this dinner, you know what happened in the middle of this dinner? I experienced joy. <laughs> We talked about all kinds of stuff. I experienced joy. We talked about finance. We talked about kids. We talked about, I don't even know what we talked, cars, whatever. I have no idea. I experienced joy. 
I, be honest with you, when they left, I felt a little more godly. I thought, I'm tired. I hosted these people. We talked about the gospel. I felt a little bit tired. I was a little tired. We, we talked about Jesus. Courage, holy courage. It's that simple. The content and the movement of the gospel, it will give you purpose on how to live individually, and it will give you purpose on how to live as a church. I experienced all of those things. Here's what I'm trying to say. The same jewels that fall out of the content of the gospel, they also fall out of the movement. Right in the movement of the gospel, joy, godliness, courage. That's all I've been arguing for. Can you see it? It's both in. Both in in terms of where these jewels come from. They come from the content of the gospel and being part of the movement. Carl F.H. Henry is so good. He's dense, but he's so good. He says, this is so good. This is good stuff here. He says, God's revelation, it requires far more than amazement. It demands commitment and appropriation. Not to simply beget wonder. You just can't simply say this is wonderful, but you have to communicate truth. It's both and. This is is all Paul is arguing for. In other words, God didn't give you the gospel to simply stand and gaze at his holiness. That's part of it. I love that. That's wonderful. We should desire God. Our affections should be erased. All of those sorts of things. But at some point in time, you have to turn right back around and give yourself for his purposes. Only half of the equation is the gazing. Only half of it. The content and the movement of the gospel, it will give you purpose. This stuff is simple. Let me give you another illustration. You can talk about how holy I am when I leave here. This is simple. Tuesday, Tuesday, I'm joking. That's tongue in cheek. Everybody lighten up a little bit. On Tuesday, we go eat dinner at this place. And my wife and I are sitting there with Gray. My daughter's three. I have a toddler named three. We're sitting there with her. And we order food and we go sit down. And if any of you have ever raised toddlers or you know anything about toddlers, toddlers can be humiliating. And so when you have a win, you separate. You celebrate, I mean. And so we're sitting there. We order food. The the lady brings out the food. She brings out part of the food. Then she has to go back. And in between that, our daughter likes to eat. If if you hung around with her, she gets it honestly. She likes to eat. So she starts eating. And before she starts eating, we say prayers before we eat. And you can say, Britt, you're so godly. But I'm, anyway, so we teach her how to pray. And so she's like, God, our Father, we thank you. And she she says this little prayer. And about that time, the waitress walks up. I'm thinking, yes! (laughs) It's one person in the world that thinks I know what I'm doing. And so she's praying through this prayer. And we get to the end of the prayer. And she looks at us in all seriousness. She looks and she's like, did you teach her how to do that? And I thought, absolutely (laughs) who do you think this is no I'm kidding and we were like yeah we did she was just like God God bless you God bless you that warmed my heart my three-year-old's doing it and I looked at Megan I gave her a high five I'm like you got to take the wins because if she comes back over here she's liable to throw that mac and cheese at her (laughs) but I mean seriously I mean my three-year-old's spreading the gospel she's spreading the gospel she's moving the gospel she's three but she's moving the gospel I mean she's moving moving for these things all this stuff happens this is how it has the content and the movement of the gospel it gives you purpose it gives you purpose it gives you joy it gives you godliness and this is the kicker I'm going to close the service out a little bit differently this morning I believe this. I believe this church was put here by God Almighty to be a central piece of the gospel content and movement in this community. I believe that. That's why I'm standing here. I believe that. I believe this church was ordained by God to be here to, compl- to proclaim the gospel and be a part of its movement in this community, in this city, and all over, the, all over the nations. I believe that and what God's doing here this morning. And so this is what these service cards are for. I want you to dig in. I want you to dig in to be a part of what God's doing. If you fill out the card, drop it in the bin on the way back out there. I believe this. All I'm trying to do is get you to, the the content and the movement of the gospel, it gives you purpose in life. It redeems you. God will redeem you. He'll give you purpose. We're a simple church. 
This is simple church. I like it that way. It's simple. We're not overcomplicating things here. The other thing I want to put in front of you this morning, this is a central piece of what we do to, to, to deal with the content and the movement of the gospel. These things called city groups. We have these groups called city groups, and their purpose is a small group system is to live in community and be on mission. It's really simple. That's what we're calling you to do in this. So I've got some fine people called city group leaders and I'm gonna ask them to come forward right now. Come on up here. It's like Billy Graham, come on. These are, city, these are all my city group leaders, come on up here. So these are city group leaders. These people are people that have stepped out on, with Brit and I've, I've petitioned them to say, we're gonna start this thing called city groups. These are missional communities and these people have looked and said, Brit, you might be losing your mind but I'm gonna trust you on it and I'm gonna lead and I'm gonna be a part of this stuff. And so these people right here, these smiling faces in front of you, these people have taken a leadership movement in this church to say, I'm gonna be serious about the content and the movement of the gospel. I'm gonna be serious about it. And so last night we gathered, my my city group is led by these people right here, kind of like Megan, this is like a team right here. But we we had 23 people. We spent the afternoon together. 23 people. And then this is another city group right here, you know, Ben and Audrey, wonderful, wonderful group of people here. Another city group leaders right here, West Ashley. This is my Somerville team down here. All these people are just trying to live for the content and the movement of the gospel. And so I wanna ask you, get involved in one. Be a part of what God's got going on here. This, Paul was an apostle. He was dealing with extremely difficult things, but this is your call. God has put you for here for this. Our, our group, we meet on Saturday nights we, do, we, we hang out, we go to the Benton house, we work in a nursing home, we do community service in that. This, this, this is Ben and Audrey right here. They meet on Fridays, I believe. Sometimes it shifts around a little bit. Get, a, get involved with them, dig in. They got a lot of cool things going on. This, this is another team here in West Ashley. They're involved with Teacher Love Project. They meet right after service on Sunday. Right after services on Sunday is when they meet. And then my Summer, Somerville group down here, I think you guys meet on Thursdays, correct? So be, dig in, be a part of these things. So I'm gonna close this out with prayer. And then I'm going to ask all of these folks right here to walk to the back, and you got to walk past them to get out of here today. <laughs> it's a trick. I'm setting you up. So when I pray, they're going to move to the back and ping one of these guys. They're on the internet. Their contacts on the internet. If you get on our webpage, you can get connected with them. You can email them. Talk to them today. Just get dig in, man. Dig in. It's a good time, and I want you to be a part of what we're doing. The content and the movement of the gospel. It gives you purpose. It gives you purpose on how to live. Let's pray. Head to the back, guys. Make these guys feel guilty and walk by you. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful to you for this day. I'm thankful uh, thankful to you for life and how you you give us life by the substitution of Jesus Christ. It's no small feat, the amazing work of the gospel that happened. And I stand before you as a confessional sinner, a man that's broken, that was wandering into the abyss of nothingness, when you reached down and pierced me, Father, with the gospel, and you gave me eyes to see the truth that I needed another, I couldn't, I couldn't get to you apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. So be kind to us in that, Father. Apply that to our lives. Help it to be our purpose and aim in this. I pray for joy for us, God. I pray for godliness. Help us to pursue godliness, the depths of your truths, and help us to live with courage as we mobilize for your people and for your purposes. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Have a good day. God bless.